Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm Leo's mum and he was born in September 2020. Hello and welcome to the podcast that shares the remarkable stories of the families who had babies during the middle of a global pandemic. I'm Philippa Giu and after my own baby was born in July 2020, I've been documenting the stories of the lockdown babies. Hannah, I'm so, so pleased to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's so amazing to actually meet you properly because I think you messaged me on Instagram, gosh, a good few months ago now, I think when you'd kind of discovered the podcast and and you said, you know, thank you for making this podcast. It's really helping you. And, and your message is one of the messages that has really stuck with me throughout this. And every time I record with someone, I kind of keep it at the front of my mind because sometimes I think, oh, what what, what am I doing? Like, what's the point? But then I realized that, you know, women like us and families like us out there um, are kind of listening to these stories and and finding them really helpful. So I'm so pleased to meet you properly and to to talk to you and to learn more about your story and your journey. So thank you for being here and thank you for sending me that message. Well, that yeah blows me away a little bit because I felt like this creepy person who doesn't really use Instagram. I have to say, like COVID is what got me into using it just to find advice about babies, to find out about other mums and things and. Yeah, I was so grateful to hear other stories, other mums, to feel less alone. Yeah, I felt like a bit weird emailing you and thinking, oh, I don't, I hope she doesn't think I'm strange, but it just, it meant a lot to hear that. No, not at all. Not strange. I was so glad that you did. Um, And I'm so glad that you're here now sharing your story. So take me back to your pregnancy then, because I guess for a lot of your pregnancy, almost, almost all of your pregnancy, you would have been in lockdown or at least kind of like when people know you're pregnant. Yeah, well, that was it. So I was 17 weeks pregnant when lockdown was announced. So 16 weeks pregnant, I had the moment that I've heard about in your podcast where you're at work and your boss comes in and says, actually, you need to go. (laughs) And having no idea for how long, for what was going to happen. Yeah, it was a really strange time. And at that point, I'd only We'd had a couple of scares already in our pregnancy. We, just to sort of set the scene, found out that I was pregnant two weeks before having IVF. So this baby felt like a miracle already. And then we'd had a couple of scares and we weren't sure if the pregnancy was going to, you know, happen. But it did. And we'd had the 12-week scan, which thankfully my husband could come to. And it was amazing. But we hadn't really been that brave in telling people. I hadn't really had a bump at that point. And so to then be told that you weren't going to see anyone for ages was really daunting. You know, when you think about having your baby and being pregnant, like for me anyway, it was having a bump, showing it off, going, doing your baby shopping and maybe hearing old ladies say, oh, you sure you've only got one in there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, I didn't know if any of that was going to be happening. It was really strange time. I think we all kind of felt anxious around that time just because it was so uncertain and weird and scary and we didn't really know what this virus was. But do you think you maybe felt more anxious than some in that you had wanted this baby so badly and it was finally happening and then it was like, bam, actually also now this big, huge thing is happening outside of the pregnancy that is out of your control in a way? Yeah, massively. And then the things that you could do to control it were kind of a bit scary for me. So I being told that touching your own face wasn't safe, breathing the air that you were breathing, walking past people, 
getting packages, you know, what was safe? If I couldn't be near someone, could I have this package in my house? I mean, I never have been an obsessive cleaning person, but I've never used so much antibac in my life. <laughs> you know, we created like a quarantine for the parcels and it, it feels crazy to think about now, but it felt like that's what I needed to keep me and our baby safe. And so I would do anything to do that at that point, you know. It's so weird. Like you look back and like the parcel thing, you know, wiping down our shopping, you know, when it arrived from Tesco or whatever. It You just look back now and it's a bit funny in a way. But obviously at the time it was far from funny. It was it was horrible. It was awful to live like that and awful to feel consumed by it. And now you look back and you think, oh, my God, I can't believe what we was wiped I down doing? our crisp before we put them in the cupboard. But we actually did. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be honest with you, that was a really hard habit to break. And I notice now when my anxiety gets higher, um, because I have PTSD, and I do struggle with my anxiety, that that's the thing that I go to. So I'll start cleaning things more, you know, and anti-back in my hands more. And I I really want to be careful of that, because my son's now putting his hands out for anti-back. And he should probably be in that age group where he was too young to know about it. So yeah, something to be careful of, I think. But Did you have these kind of anxious OCD tendencies beforehand or not at all? Because the reason I ask is before I had no mental health. I'd never had mental health problems. I'd never been anxious. I'd never had anxiety. I didn't even really know what that meant. I'd never been like a germaphobe or anything. And the pandemic has and having a baby in the pandemic has really changed me. So I'm interested to hear if other people have been kind of changed as well in that way. I have had anxiety before. So I had had some counselling for that and a bit of like CBT and I felt like I was in a really good position I was managing it without medication I I knew I had these coping strategies but when COVID happened the things I would do to keep myself calm I couldn't do anymore so you know going to the gym and seeing my friends and you know I used to do a lot of gardening and things like but so some of it I could but there was a lot that I couldn't do and I could feel that things were escalating. And I was really worried about that. You know, you want to be in a good place when your child arrives. And I'd worked really hard to do that. So I was asking for help. Every time I went to midwife appointments, every time I was speaking to anybody, I was saying that I'm, I'm struggling, these behaviours are getting t- too much, it's overwhelming, you know, can anybody help? Is there anything there? And every single time I was told that I didn't meet the criteria, there wasn't anything available to help me. In fact, one midwife told me that people were dying, I needed to get on with it. I, yeah, honestly, was blown away at the lack of empathy, I guess, for what we were going through. I can't actually believe what I'm hearing because, yes, people were dying, but we're all living in this shit show and we all have our own problems that we're dealing with. And and your problem cannot be dismissed because of like, you know, seemingly more bigger problems. I'm so confused about how, how a medical professional could say that to you. Yeah, and she wasn't the only one. I was dismissed a lot. I I knew I needed help. I knew things were getting out of hand. I started writing to anybody, anybody that would listen. Like, you know, the restrictions were impacting my anxiety really heavily. Like to think about going in alone. You know, we'd gone from being, because the IVF was going to be in the NHS, we had to sign a contract to say that we would attend every appointment together. We weren't allowed to do anything alone. So we had to both be in it. To go from that to you can't come in, you've got to wait outside in the car park. It was unreal. And my anxiety was really high. I would got diagnosed with GD, gestational diabetes. So I had a lot more appointments to go to as well. And it was it was really overwhelming. 
and also to be told to be shielding it's not safe to go outside but can you come every other week into hospital where there's definitely covid was (laughs) slightly terrifying getting closer to the september when you knew your baby was due this anxiety is kind of bubbling away and and getting a bit worse and you're trying to find help but you can't and you're approaching your due date so what was that like for you and your family and as you kind of got closer and closer to to the day that your new baby was coming it's funny because at the time my family and my husband all seemed really positive you know this you know this is going to be fine it's going to be great you're going to get to meet your baby and they were really like cheerleading me on, really trying to encourage me and help me to be positive. And it's only afterwards now. I mean, even my husband and I only had a conversation recently where he said how angry he was, how frustrated he was. That he couldn't do anything to change it, that he couldn't be there. And, you know, how awful it was to not be able to know how to help me through that. Because ultimately what he would have done is come and hold my hand and tell me everything was going to be okay. But I started to get more angry, to be honest, the closer it got, because at that point in time, the restrictions were still that you had to go in on your own unless you were in established labour. We were lucky in our trust that we could have someone there for two hours for visiting once you were in postnatal. But that was it. But the government were running the eat out to help out scheme. People were going out, people were back to shopping, back to going out, going to concerts. And I could not put together in my head how is it that I could go to the pub or go out I mean I didn't because I followed the shielding rules but I had to do that alone with the person I share a bed with when testing was also happening then as well so I had to be induced because of GD so they COVID tested me but why couldn't they COVID test my husband and I, I understand there are elements of you know trying to take control and I get that you know there's money involved as well when it comes to the testing but Yeah, but the money they're spending now to kind of fix all our mental health problems is a lot more money than what a bloody COVID test would have cost to test your husband. That is exactly what I was going to say. And that that is the bit that infuriates me. You only have to look at the amount of people that are now struggling with postnatal depression, PTSD, postnatal anxiety, the amount of money that's being pumped into getting those people better when that probably wouldn't have happened. I think, you know, traumatic birth and stuff, that does happen. And that is awful. But to go through that alone and then to be put into isolation after that, I think that's what threw me over the edge, to be honest. I think if I'd been able to, you know, coo over my baby and send him around for snuggles and have people come into the house and, you know, hold him and cook and help me, I wouldn't have fallen as low as I did. That's exactly it, because it was like, how much can one person or one family take okay you know my husband couldn't be with me when I was in labor okay all right we processed that okay he didn't really get to spend any time with us in the first few days of baby's life okay um we'll process that one as well and then it's okay now not a single person can come around and help me and cook me a bloody lasagna or whatever okay and then it's just like all these things layered on top of each other no baby classes no breastfeeding support and then it's just to the point where you are just crushed by it all and there's just not any more that you can possibly take and then of course you reach breaking point and you're so right what you say about maybe you wouldn't have fallen so low if it hadn't have been just one thing after the other yeah it was hit after hit we had to both Leo and I were really poorly we both had sepsis we'd had an awful birth I'd have to have an emergency section he had jaundice, I had kidney failure, I'd had a hemorrhage. You know, we were a mess. 
and my husband was told to go home and we were just left there and the midwives were too busy I I remember buzzing at one point and I got told because I couldn't get a drink I couldn't reach the baby I couldn't do anything for myself and um and I was shaking uncontrollably it was just horrible and this midwife came and put a blanket on me and said please don't buzz us again unless you really need us because we're really busy no one came so that was one in the morning no one came again until seven in the morning I hadn't even been able to move to get my baby it was yeah I think for me the birth was was really hard and that that was a horrible experience but we had to stay in for five days afterwards those two hours with my husband were a godsend but the everything in between is just I know and you said you said just a few minutes ago you said we were really lucky that we got two hours together it shouldn't be that we feel lucky for having a few hours with our partners or that a few hours where they were able to you know help with the baby change a nappy do a feed whatever help you shower like whatever you need and it's just it's awful isn't it that we say we're lucky because we got that yeah that's absolutely minimal but I I have to say it because I know women who have had no one and nothing and I don't know how they would have got through that I would live for that two o'clock appointment with my husband <laughs> I was looking back at my messages and it's like you know 159 are you outside are you ready to come in <laughs> but they would come round with a bell it's like the town crier like <laughs> roll up roll up what and that was that you know there was no there was no flexibility it was you you have to go now and and that that would be the worst point for me just then being left again how am I going to get through this for the next 20 plus hours I just want to take you back to the day that Leo was born because you said you were induced. So did you have to be on your own for that process? I do find this really difficult to talk about and I can't go into a lot of detail because it's too much. (laughs) But yeah, so um, he was allowed in for the first hour of induction and then he wasn't allowed in until I was in established labour. And that took 33 hours, I counted. (laughs) That was awful. It was awful. You know, you just... The sheer relief of having him there, but by the time he was there, I was in so much pain. I didn't really, I couldn't really use him the way that I would have liked to. I think, um, and I think it was probably as long and as bad as it was because I was so uptight about being alone. Yes, I am right there with you on every level for this because while our stories are different, there are lots of similarities, and I, I truly believe that all the interventions, the forceps, the baby with sepsis, everything that happened started from the minute my husband wasn't allowed to come in with me and it sounds like you maybe feel that too yeah I mean and I mean there were scary things that happened when I was there so I was initially put on a ward where my husband had left me with all my bags and then um, I was moved to a waiting room because somebody tested positive on the ward and then I was just the rest of that time on the induction ward I was in a waiting room just in labour just contracting on my own just you know, you can't imagine. It's just not how you imagine things to be. And the staff weren't particularly friendly about it. I just say that. <laughs> no, I, I sympathise. Um, when you finally got home and you were back together as a family and you, you, you know, you, you got back home with baby Leo and you think, OK, God, that was horrible. But, you know, we're home now. What did that time look like for you when you did get home and you were kind of getting into those first weeks and months as a, as a new family? That was really hard and it's hard to look back on now for a few reasons. So Leo wasn't a settled baby. He wasn't happy. He wasn't sleeping for longer. And I'm not exaggerating. From 30 minutes at a time, he was up constantly. 
he wasn't feeding well he was crying a lot and obviously we couldn't see GPs we couldn't see health visitors and I just kept calling and I kept being told babies crying babies don't sleep and no one would see us and it uh, ended up after four months of calls and asking for help um, I found an amazing GP she's actually a locum um, so I've never been able to speak to her since but he had CMPA so cow's milk allergy and also silent reflux uh, so that was the issue and he still has a milk allergy now so obviously he was not sleeping he was in pain and it took us so long to realize and when we weighed him they realized he dropped from the 95th centile down to the 40th because he just wasn't getting enough food into him and the level of frustration from that was really hard to tolerate I guess when you wanted to just be in that lovely newborn bubble you know if we'd had help sooner once he'd changed his milk he was such a happier baby he was smiling he was sleeping he was cooing he was doing all the cute things you expect and that you know that was delayed because we we just didn't have access to the help that we needed and I was so anxious about anybody seeing him and potentially him catching COVID and I'd asked everybody you know doctors and midwives you know when's it safe for people to hold him when would that be okay and no one could give us an answer no one could tell you one doctor said or oh, maybe you know at three months he might his immune system might be strong enough and in my mind if it wasn't safe for adults to touch and hug how is it safe for me to pass my newborn around and so I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I've got pictures of family and friends, you know, meeting him for the first time outside in the pram. Still make, I laugh now, but it's horrible to think back at, you know, I was still making him stand a metre away and peer in at his pram and in his Moses basket and stuff. And uh, that makes me feel really sad. I feel like we lost out on, you know, handing him to my dad, have his cuddle with his pop and, and my best friend and things, you know, that's hard to think back to. Yeah, and I know we've talked a bit when we've messaged each other and things about these kind of triggers that we have that, you know, for me, like this week that we're recording is National Breastfeeding Week and I'm seeing all these posts on social media and I find it really triggering. I'm like, oh, I'm so angry that we were robbed of our breastfeeding experience if that's what we wanted, which is what I wanted and couldn't get the help and support. So I find it really triggering. All these triggers that we have all throughout the year. No, I understand what you're saying. Today even, we went to Tesco, the three of us, my husband, Leo and I, and there was a new family there with a tiny newborn. And I see things like that and it just, it hurts. We know, I know it sounds daft, but we never got to take him out and do those kind of things. We never got to show him off. We never got to experience being a family, a first, you know, all those firsts that you do. I've got a photo album of hundreds of photos of me and him in our lounge. I don't know how I took so many photos of <laughs> well, What did I do when I was a baby mummy? Well, <laughs> we stayed inside. <laughs> do you find as well you have no pictures of like the three of you really? Maybe like the odd selfie, but of course there was no one to take your picture and you weren't really anywhere where you'd be like, oh, can you take our picture? Yeah, yeah, no. We have one picture where we saw some friends in a park and we stood I don't know, hundreds of metres away from each other. <laughs> and that's our only family photo that we have that's not a selfie. And it really is quite far away. You can't see the detail of the baby's face or anything. And she just walks up to, to me. Yeah, it's really strange to look back on. And it, it fills me with a lot of guilt, to be honest, that this baby, <laughs> I get, get a bit emotional thinking about it, that we wanted so much that should have been such a happy time. And it was really hard time. And I feel guilty that we couldn't just enjoy him 
and don't get me wrong we you know we enjoy him now and we're out and about and we're we're loving life but it wasn't like that at that point in time and that's really sad <laughs> no it really is and I know that so many people listening will relate to that it's horrible and you just kind of think oh I just want to shake it you just want to shake that feeling because like you say you know yes life's good now and we can go to the zoo and we can do lovely things but you just can't shake it because you just feel so hard done by in a way and nobody really wants to say sorry sorry that happened I acknowledge that that happened to you all all of us us collective mums dads families and I feel like I don't know what it's going to take for us to be able to just shake that horrible feeling I completely agree I've got one pandemic mum friend that we met right at the beginning through Homestart and I think I've spoken to you about the support I've had with them before and our babies are two days apart so we did all of the walking around the neighbourhood together just me and her you know the rain the snow the sun whatever the weather we were outside every day walking around with our babies you know talking about things probably no one else wanted to hear on a walk about you know your nipples or whatever fluid yours the babies you know but we still talk about now you know how sad it feels how angry we feel about things how much we missed and when are we going to feel okay about that? When are we going to move on? And you're right, like, you know, what's it going to take for that to happen? Is it just time? Is it just our own personal acceptance? Is it somebody saying, sorry, I, I don't know. But what's been amazing is hearing these stories, these podcasts, hearing other women share what they've been through. Because I beat myself up sometimes that maybe it's just me. Maybe I've made this worse in my head. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was just my own mindset. Why couldn't I just deal with it? And actually hearing that other women are feeling the same is so comforting. And it's validating that, yeah, those things were awful. You shouldn't have had to do that on your own. I know that you've you've mentioned your struggle with with PTSD linked back to everything. Are you happy to talk a bit about your journey with that? And when you kind of started to realize, because you've talked a bit about Leo's health and how, you know, in those first early months, you realized that he wasn't, you know, this isn't normal for a baby to be crying and so unsettled. But did you give yourself any time in those early weeks and think, actually, this is not how I'm supposed to feel either? Yeah, I think I I was really anxious. I knew I wasn't myself. I wasn't eating and drinking properly. I wasn't taking care of myself the way that I would have done. So I was making sure all of Leo's needs were met. I mean, I was working hard to try and get someone to listen to us. And I think it was probably when I went for the eight week check and they asked how I was and I was, I'm not coping. I'm not, my anxiety is too much. I've asked for help loads of times. I keep being told that no one can help me. Can you help me? And they got me to do a referral to talking therapies and I waited for that to come through and I waited however long it was to speak to somebody. And then they said that I was too severe for them to help and that I should have been helped by parental health. So they referred me across to them mental health said that I was not severe enough for them they were too busy they wouldn't be able to help me so I fell in this gap of I'm not going to get help from either one of these services what do I do and that's when I found my counsellor who I still work with now who is amazing and I'm so lucky that I could do that because it's it's a lot of money and and that just isn't a, a valid option for a lot of people especially at the moment So I'm really, really fortunate that I could do that. And I'm so grateful because she is helping me move past what I've been through in terms of feeling 
that anger, that constant like bubbling away, which I wasn't able to work on on my own and it's given me some good coping skills. So that's amazing. I'm really grateful for that. But yeah, it was really hard work to get any help from that as well. It's that thing you're saying about the hit after hit. I was like, how hard do I have to try and get help? How hard do I have to push to get anyone to listen? And then you still didn't really get help because you had to go and find it yourself and pay for it yourself. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem right. What happens in that scenario if someone can't pay? That's the bit that breaks me. It's how many people are still struggling and aren't getting the help that they need. How many people feel like what they've gone through isn't isn't bad enough or they it's just their fault for not coping? And I think that's why this conversation is so important. And even I shy away from talking to people about what I've been through. I've had, you know, that obviously that comment from the midwife about, um, you know, well, people are dying, you've got to get on with it. I've seen people online talk about, you know, if there's been an article about pandemic mums, well, people have babies in the war and they managed. And that is a really hard thing to hear when you've gone through something so awful and all you're asking for is a bit of acknowledgement, support. And it makes me think, yeah, there are women that go through really awful things. There are people having babies at wartime, but someone could put their arms around them. Someone could hold their hand. They could go and see their, their friends and family afterwards. They weren't just left in isolation. It's almost like this feeling that we're supposed to be grateful that we're alive and that our babies are alive and that should be enough and that everything else that happened doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter. You're all right now. You're fine. You're alive. Baby's fine. What's your problem? And it's like, well, the nightmares and the flashbacks and the anxiety that I'm living with, that's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And they were so powerful. The flashbacks were awful. You can't just push those feelings aside because people have been through worse. What you've been through is traumatic for you and you need help to get back to yourself. And that's what I'm hopefully doing now is like working to get back to myself because I don't feel like the same person I was before all of this happened. You know, it's taken me a lot of time to figure out which bits of this are normal, which bits are normal new mum stuff, which bits is like my existing anxiety, the PTSD. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, hopefully getting there. (laughs) Do you ever try and like, imagine what your path would have been like had not been COVID and had he been allowed to be there and kind of like what your two lives like maybe would have looked like no it's like sliding doors isn't it I do think about that a lot we did hypnobirthing and we'd learned a lot about oxytocin and relaxing yourself and feeling loved and feeling comfortable there's only so many like affirmation cards and fluffy blankets that are going to do that ultimately you want someone there that loves you that can advocate for you that when you are a wreck and you can't do that for yourself you want that person there I had a moment on the postnatal ward where I'd had so many people come to me different medical professionals talking about my son's illnesses and mine and what was going to happen and I I mean I hadn't slept for days I just broke down in tears on the ward and there was another mum opposite me who just said this is enough look at this poor woman, she needs help. You can't keep flooding her with this information and leaving her there. Give her a private space to deal with this stuff and help her. Because of her like advocating for me, we did get put into a private room. We could sleep, we could rest, we could practice breastfeeding without being on display. You know, it was... It was a lot. And I'm so grateful to that woman. I wish I knew her name. I know. I was going to say, what an angel. But also, what a fucking sorry state of affairs that a stranger who had also just had a baby, you didn't know had to be your advocate because nobody else could be. That is just an absolute disaster, isn't it? That it got to that point. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. She's an angel, but it should not have been allowed to get to that point. 
Um, when you look back now, how much of everything that you've been through do you think could have been avoided if, you know, look, we couldn't avoid the pandemic, but if, you know, rules had been different, if our mental health had have been considered when they were coming up with the rules? Oh, there are so many bits that I think would have been so much better. If we'd had access to a GP, Leo wouldn't have suffered for as long. I would have had sleep. I would have had rest. I wouldn't have that heightened level of anxiety that had sort of been bubbling the entire way through was so much worse when I had this little baby that needed help. I don't think I would have fallen into the hole that I fell into had my husband been there. I think I would have been calmer. I imagine that things would have been quicker. Um, we would have been able to come home sooner because I think the sepsis was because of how long the, the labour was, you know, for both of us. So, yeah, I imagine things would be really different had we have had the support you know if I'd been able to take him to a baby weighing clinic I would have learned that he'd lost all that weight I wouldn't have kept going for so long without help I've been asking lots of my lovely mums but I've forgotten the last few episodes so you know here we are we'll bring it back if you could sum up like your whole experience just everything you've been through this whole whirlwind ride in one word what would your word be I think we decided on heartbreaking so my husband and I were putting words together and uh, and there's lots of like anger and sadness and all these different things. But actually, it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? That we had to spend such a happy time feeling so sad and anxious and worried and angry. So that would be my word. God forbid that we find ourselves in, I don't know, another lockdown, another situation where, you know, something like this happens again. What lessons do you hope have been learnt by government hospitals and everything around this? Because like we said earlier in the interview, we are dealing with a mental health crisis in terms of, you know, women that had babies in the pandemic. You know, it's costing the government millions of pounds to to try and fix the, the damage that's been done. So I just wondered what lessons do you hope that they've learnt from all of this, if if any? That logic should prevail, that we know enough science to know that people need support, how much that helps with birthing, with breastfeeding, that we can test the partner, that we already live together, that we're sharing the same air. I just hope that they put people before money. Do you know, I get that the economy is important. I get that we need things to work, but that's not going to work if people aren't functioning. If people can't go to work, I haven't gone back to work. I've needed the time. I hope that they prioritise people over money. You talked a little bit about how you're just not the same person that you were before you had Leo. And I really relate to that because I feel exactly the same. How do you feel different? Well, I wonder about this quite often. And I don't know whether or not this is because we're new parents and life would have been different anyway. Or if it's because of COVID and our friends aren't doing as much anyway. But there's definitely more of a sense of isolation. So I used to be a really sociable person, love going out. And I just don't now. And I... I don't feel like I want to go and talk to people. I get nervous, actually, that people are going to ask me questions about the baby, about the birth, about what it was like. I've had some really, I'm going to say, thoughtless comments about it. Like, and my husband has said the same. People at work, oh, it must be so lovely that you all got you know, locked down together. And he was just like, no, no, it's not lovely. It's really hard. It's really lonely. And yes, we get to spend more time together as a family, but we would have liked to do that in a much happier circumstance. How has your journey to healing, I'm not going to say recovery, it's not the right word, but I guess your journey to healing 
been going and how are you doing now? I'm definitely doing a lot better than I was. I'm really enjoying having this tiny human in our lives. He's amazing. He's at that age now where he's learning so much. It's fascinating to watch. And for me, I'm learning that I really need to take care of myself. I think he was such a big focus and the only focus because of COVID. Um, I kind of put myself on the back burner. So I'm trying to do more for myself. Things like journaling are really helpful to me and getting outside and moving. And yeah, that's what I want to work on now to be in a better place so I can be a better, better mum and happier myself. A huge thank you to Hannah for speaking to me. We actually stayed on the line chatting for ages after our interview and it was just so amazing to share stories and anecdotes and just connect to another mum who had similar experiences and I guess that's why I just love making this podcast so so much so I hope you're enjoying listening to it if you are please do take a second to rate and review the show as it really helps new people find us I'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode bye-bye for now